You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Midtown. This is our sermon series, Midtown Beats. Hear the word of the Lord. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always stay sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I will finish the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Peace be with you. If you are first-time guests, I just want to say welcome. My name is Jamal. I'm one of the pastors here. We are thrilled uh, that you would take time to come out and to uh, spend the morning with us as we just sing to Jesus and and learn about him through his word. And it's also good news that you are here and that we are starting a new series today uh, called Midtown Beats. Uh, the values we vibe to. So for the next few weeks, I'll explain that here in a second. We'll be just talking about who we are as a church and what we value. Uh, Before we dive in, I just want to spend uh, a few moments in prayer. And I want to ask you to just quiet your heart and to pray with me as well. I specifically want to pray for um, our city and our uh, school district, uh, uh, JCPS, Um, I want to pray for uh, those who have some hard decisions to make, for the bus drivers, for parents, for students, um, as well as for teachers and administrators, um, that the Holy Spirit, that the Lord in common grace would just give them wisdom so that um, our babies can go to school um, and that parents and teachers and administrators can have peace of mind knowing that our bus system um, is working well. As you guys know, we had a really tough week last week, and it uh, looks like it's going to be some, some hard decisions to make this week. So would you mind just praying with me? I'm actually going to be silent for uh, a couple minutes, ask you to pray, and then I'm going to close this out. Heavenly Father, we, we beg you. We beg you for wisdom personally as we navigate uh, difficult things in an imperfect world to give us wisdom in our personal lives on how we talk about such matters as well as how we, we help as Christians. We step in as salt and light. Uh, we pray for the Jefferson County Public School System. Lord, we uh, beg you to uh, give wisdom to uh, the school board, to those who are making decisions with busing. We pray for bus drivers, Um, those who are still committed to to riding the bus, that you would give them them patience and wisdom. We pray for teachers and administrators. We 
Uh, we pray for students, some who uh, maybe had a, been traumatized by that long day with no food and, and things happen that they will remember on that day for the rest of their life. We pray, Lord, that you would just uh, bring healing and bring peace and just straighten this out. And we pray that the Christians in this city will be salt and light in how we talk about these matters, how we show up to schools that are in our area, um, how uh, we treat our teachers and those who um, are making decisions. And Father, we, we, we beg you. We beg you to bring peace. And Father, we also ask for our hearts as we prepare to receive the word this morning. I pray that you allow me to be faithful uh, to the text and to explain in a way that is clear and that leads people um, to look at Jesus uh, with, with astonishment and love for what he's done for them. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In the matchless name of Jesus Christ, we do pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you all. Well, a couple weeks ago, um, I went on a road trip with some friends. It was a, it was a good road trip. And one of my friends uh, had a great idea. It was about five of us in a vehicle. And he said, hey, for music, let's create a playlist. Everyone pick three songs. We're going to pass the phone around. You put your three favorite songs in. And each of these songs should represent um, your musical taste, uh, who you are, what you enjoy most. But here's the thing. We're not going to let uh, the others know which three songs, songs are yours. We're going to listen to it, shuffle it up, and then guess who put that song in, all right? And, uh, and that's what we did. We drove on this road trip with this playlist, and it was a good playlist. It was an eclectic playlist, uh, but it was a good playlist. And most of the times, we were able to guess or come close to guessing who picked the song because you kind of know each other. You, you know the vibe of the person. You uh, understand what, what they value, and, and you kind of start figuring out their swag, right? And so as we were going, this fun music game uh, became really helpful, and it also helped us to understand uh, who it was that picked the song a little better, and we got to hear stories behind the song and why that was one of their three, right? Uh, music often, and our music tastes, um, often is an expression of who we are and what we love, what we value. And there's normally a story connected to uh, the genre of music that we pick or even the songs that we pick, right? Um, and so in this series that we're jumping into, we're calling it Midtown Beats, and we're going to go through our values as a church. And essentially, we're going to say this is Sojourn's Playlist. These are the songs that are the values that we vibe to. This is what we hold on to as a church. If you want to know um, our culture, if you want to know what we are willing to put a, put a stake in the flag, uh, in, in the ground in, a flag in the ground in, this will be it, okay? And so for the next few weeks, we'll be exploring that and looking at values. Organizational values represent the fundamental beliefs and standards that guide behavior, culture, and decision-making for a church and for a organization. And many people know that there are three types of statements that most organizations have. It's a mission statement, it's a vision statement, and it's a value statement. And here's the difference between the three in general so that um, it, can, it can help you. A mission statement normally answers the question, what do we do? 
A vision statement normally answers the question, where are we going, right? Or long-term, next 5, 10, 20 years, what are we shooting for? And, and values generally answer the question, what do we stand for? What do we stand for? So for the next four weeks, we're going to be going through six core values as a church, and we're going to be answering the question, what do we stand for? Now, here's the thing. The values that we picked, that we selected, um, weren't just kind of grabbed out of the air. I believe in 2018, we went through a number of exercises with over 40 members, as well as our elders and staff, uh, to identify what are the things that, as a church, we can say we value, um, and, and some are aspirational, but most were here, and most um, were things that people could see and could call out. These values are foundational to who we are. These are the things that you should be able to expect from your church and from your pastors. Since 2020, we've learned that about 40% of our church is new. Uh, even in talking to some staff recently when we were talking about values, someone asked me about one of our values, and I began to explain. They were like, oh, that's not what I thought that value was because that person wasn't here when we went through the exercise. And so we want to make sure that, that everybody is on the same page. So today we're going to go through the value of biblical faithfulness and gospel-centeredness. Biblical faithfulness and gospel-centeredness. We're going to put two values uh, together. To be biblically faithful means to be shaped um, and submitted to God's word. To be gospel-centered means that we value uh, seeing Jesus as the one who both forms us as well as the one who fuels us. Now, you may be saying, okay, we're putting two together today. Um, how's the rest of the series going to work if we've got four values and three sermons? Well, this will be the only one that we'll put together today. Uh, the one value that we're not going to explicitly dedicate a whole sermon to is diverse fellowship. And here's why. Two reasons. One, uh, we did a sermon on that as a value in the beginning of the year. And you can go on our website and find that back in January uh, around the 15th. And we can send that out via email. Uh, two, and each of our values moving forward, we'll be talking about that um, a little bit. So it'll come out. And then third, uh, Timothy Paul Jones and I just wrote a book called In Church As It Is in Heaven, which is a thorough um, explanation of our value of diversity. And in it, we talk about cultivating a multi-ethnic kingdom culture. And it is very Sojourn-esque. It tells our story. It tells what we're all about. And so um, we want to encourage you uh, to pick that up and to read more. As we look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 today, um, we're going to use this in a very specific way as we talk about biblical faithfulness and gospel-centeredness um, to actually talk about these two values from the standpoint of our preaching ministry, okay? Uh, from the standpoint of our preaching ministry. And the reason why we want to address these values from our preaching ministry is because we feel like our preaching ministry really sets um, the pace for how the value of biblical faithfulness and gospel-centeredness is lived out. Now, this value of biblical faithfulness and gospel-centeredness um, can be seen in every ministry here, from our, uh, our kids' ministry to S2 to our arts ministry. But our preaching ministry is really what, what sets the pace. And so in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 8, 
we are going to uh, look at the Apostle Paul and how he's going to talk about the centrality and the importance of preaching. Um, And today I want to remind you all of the centrality and the importance of the preached word. Like, why do we gather together to hear the Bible preached? Why do we come to church when we can just go on YouTube and find our favorite preacher and just listen to them? What is God doing in moments like this? And we're going to see that in our preaching ministry, these two values are are present. So when we look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 8, we're going to uh, look at it with two main movements. The first, we're going to look at a solemn charge. Preach the word. And then Timothy is going to support this imperative to preach the word with eight other imperatives. But his main point to his mentee is preach the Bible. And this is important because Paul is getting ready to die. He's about to be martyred for his faith. He's in jail. He's in prison. He knows that this is likely the last time he's going to write to Timothy. It could be. And he wants to close his letter in talking about the importance of preaching the word. And then we're going to see the second movement is a sad scene. Paul is going to warn Timothy about the seduction of false teachers. And then I'm going to close out with some quick invitations for us as a church. So the first thing Paul opens up with is he opens up with a solemn charge. Preach the word. Look at verse four. He says, I solemnly charge you before God in Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead. And because of his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, I solemnly charge you. I mean, Paul is about to heap on to Timothy the importance of this message, preaching the word by pointing him to the eschaton. He says, before God and Christ Jesus. I mean, he, he's, he's saying he's putting all his cards out. He says, I'm not playing around. In the presence of God in Christ Jesus, I have a charge for you. I mean, this is a heavy charge. The only charge I know that's heavier is on my mama. And swearing in on a Bible, right? (laughs) Promising to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, okay? So help you, God. He says, I charge you before God and Christ Jesus. And then he reminds us that, that Jesus Christ is going to judge both the living and the dead. He's going to one day appear and be in this Bema seat and bring judgment and bring his kingdom fully to earth. So we see this this charge. Then we see this charge to do something really specific, and it's to preach the word. Now, what does it mean to preach? Well, this word uh, that we have here for preach is a word that was actually more political in in nature. It it spoke of a herald who was coming uh, to a city on behalf of the king with a message. And this herald was commissioned to say exactly what the king told him to say. And he would go throughout the city preaching and proclaiming the king's message. If he changed the message, he was in trouble. And if the people did not obey and listen to the message, it meant that they were as well. Paul is saying, listen, I'm charging you to preach with authority this message that you have been given from me and from the other apostles. As we read in 1 Timothy 2, 2, to pass that on to faithful men who will pass it on to to other faithful men. To preach means to 
proclaim. It means to cry out. It means to be a, a herald. Rich Valados has a great, great definition of preaching. He says this, preaching is the priestly and prophetic truth or act of communicating Holy Scripture artfully, passionately, and responsibly through our lived experience and unique personality in a contextual matter for the glory of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say that again. Preaching is the priestly. It means you, you preach with grace in a priestly manner. And prophetic, you tell the truth as it was given to you. Act of communicating Holy Scripture. I love how he says it, artfully. When you look at the prophets and you look at Jesus, they artfully presented God's truth in a contextual manner with the unique personality of a preacher. For the glory of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we stand up and we stand behind uh, this sacred desk and preach, we are communicating artfully, passionately, and responsibly what thus says the Lord. We're taking the text and saying, this is what it meant to the audience that received it. Here is what it means to us today. Romans chapter 10, verse 13, talks about the importance of the preached word. I believe we have that on the screen. And if not, nope, we don't. All right, listen to this. Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching to them? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You hear that? I love the, the question that Paul asked rhetorically. How then can they call on him in whom they have never heard? When we preach, we preach those who are non-believers so that their faith uh, may uh, come and, and be in Christ, but we also preach to form believers so that we can continue to grow in faith. God uses his word, his word to grow us into the likeness of Jesus. I love what he says. He said, preach the word, <laughs> preach the word. He says, no, 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 Timothy, don't, don't preach yourself. Don't, don't go out talking about how great you are and how you're just this, this ultimate example. He says, preach the word. Timothy, don't preach me. I know I'm your apostle. I know I'm your spiritual father. Don't preach me. Preach the word. Timothy, don't preach politics and political theory. Preach the word. Don't preach celebrity gossip. Preach the word. Preach the word. Now, what is the word? Well, when Paul was telling Timothy to preach the word, they didn't have the Bibles that we now have. Uh, the, the New Testament was still being written and, and, and some books were beginning to, to circulate. So what Paul is talking about when he says preach the word is actually preach Christ from the Old Testament. In Luke chapter 24, the Bible says that Jesus post-resurrection, that he uh, sat down with his disciples and he taught them to interpret the Old Testament through him. The Old Testament, Christ is concealed. In the New Testament, he is revealed. He's saying, preach Christ from 
the sacred texts. Preach the word. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5 says this. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. That's an important passage. You should write it down and meditate on it later. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, Paul, in talking to the church of Corinth, says, listen, I didn't come to you like Greek rhetoricians. I didn't come to woo you um, with my speech and to try to seduce you with fancy language and, and deep thought. He said, no, even though Paul was incredibly smart, And Paul used uh, great rhetorical skills in his letters and in his preaching. He said, my primary goal in preaching was to preach Christ crucified. Christ crucified. Later on, he's going to say, it's to preach the gospel, which is of first importance. When we preach the word, we are preaching, we're preaching about Jesus. To be gospel-centered means that everything comes through Jesus and we interpret every doctrine in the Bible and every part of our life through what Jesus taught and through what Jesus lived. The gospel of Jesus is, is this message about his virgin birth, his virtuous life. His vicarious death, his victorious resurrection. It's a message of incarnation that God became man without losing his divinity to heal us. It's the message of uh, substitutionary atonement that Jesus died in my place so that I can be forgiven of sin. It's a message of restoration that one day everything that is wrong with this world will be restored and everyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus will have new life. It's a message of grace that one cannot save themselves by their own merits and by their own works or deeds that one needs an alien righteousness to make them right with God. It's a message of the cross. On the cross, on the cross where I first saw the light and the burdens of my sins were rolled away. It was there by faith that I received my sight and now I am happy all day. It's a declaration of a kingdom, a kingdom that is now, that is already and not yet, a kingdom that has broken into this fallen world that starts off as a mustard seed but grows to be the biggest of all trees. It's a message of redemption. He says, preach that. Apply that to your parenting. Apply that to your singleness. Apply that to your loneliness. Apply that to your stewardship of money. Apply that to being married. He says, preach Jesus. Preach Jesus. I love what the text says. He says, and preach it in season and out of season. Preach them in season and out of season. What does it mean to preach the word? 
in season. Look at your Bibles, verse 2, and out of season. He's saying, preach this message about Jesus when it's convenient and when it's inconvenient. When people want to hear it and when people don't want to hear it. And when we talk about Midtown's beats and our values that we vibe to, we're saying as a church, yo, we're rocking with the word. And we're going to preach the word. We're going to rightly divide and interpret the word as Paul tells Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. As a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God. And we're going to do that if people want to hear it or if they don't want to hear it. I pray that the Lord will raise up from our children's ministry, from S2, Christians that will anchor themselves in the word, that are committed to building their life on Christ, the solid rock, knowing that all of the ground is sinking sand. I pray that the Lord will raise up some Noah's who by faith will will just work for him and who will faithfully preach, repent, for judgment is coming. Find safety in the Lord. I pray that the Lord will raise up some Ezekiels who will go and who will say, thus says Lord. In fact, when Ezekiel was called in Ezekiel chapter 3 and 11, listen to what God said to Ezekiel. He says, son of man, Listen carefully to all my words that I speak to you and take them to heart. Go to your people, the exiles, and speak of them. Tell them this is what the Lord God says, whether they listen or refuse to listen. As your pastors, we want to be men who are are like the Apostle Paul. He writes to the church of Ephesus. He says this in Acts chapter 20, verse 25. And now I know that none of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of you all because I did not avoid declaring, preaching to you the whole counsel of God. So here at Midtown, the way that this looks is as we, we preach the Bible, obviously 70% of our time is what we call um, expository preaching. And we uh, simply choose a book of the Bible and we walk through uh, that book faithfully, um, as faithful as we can. And we just preach the Bible. And where we pick off in that book is where we pick back up. So last October through uh, this past Easter, we were in the book of Hebrews. And the reason we do that is because preaching expositorily, uh, picking a a book and just explaining what it says, it keeps us from just preaching random hobby horse type subjects. And it also teaches our congregation how to rightly interpret the word. And what I love about expository preaching is oftentimes things will line up in the text uh, with what is happening in society. And we're able to address that from the text and the Holy Spirit just lines those things up so people can't say, you're just picking on this or you're just picking on this. No, we're just preaching the word. This is what the Bible says. And so, for example, after this short series, we'll be going, picking back up part two of the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to be in the gospel of Luke for 72 sermons over a year and a half. Someone's like, man, we're going to break it up a little bit, but it's going to be Luke. 
We're going to look at the mercy and the mission of Jesus. And we're going to study a book together. So we want to preach the whole counsel of God. Now look at the text real quick. This is absolutely amazing. Paul says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. And then he tells us what this preaching um, should, uh, should do. It should correct, it should rebuke, and it should encourage. It should bring reproof, it should rebuke, and it should encourage. And then he goes on to say, and this is how you preach it. You preach it with great patience and, and teaching. Um, so look, look at what the, isn't God's word is so good. And as members of the body of Christ and as Christians, we should know what the Bible expects from our preachers. So if you have someone who, if, and you grew up in a culture where the preacher every Sunday was just talking about themselves and then whipping a congregation and there was no patience and there was no biblical explanation or, or depth, then you should say something is wrong. Something is wrong. Uh, the late, great uh, Dr. Tim Keller, uh, the evangelical Christian's pope, who I love as well, uh, <laughs> Man, he, he gives this great, one, he's a great example of what it looks like to faithfully preach the Bible in a biblically faithful and gospel-centered way. Incredible example. Uh, but I also think he was an example of what it looked like to preach patiently um, while teaching. Yeah. While teaching. Beautiful example. But he has a quote on preaching that I never forgot. Um, it was uh, through a lecture series that he said, he says, listen, every single sermon is the same. I'm going to tell y'all what I do every single week so that you know what to expect. He said, I open my Bible and I tell you, this is what the Bible says. And this is what God, and this is how God tells us to live in light of what the Bible says. But here's the bad news. In your own power and strength, you cannot live this way. You will fail. But ah, praise God for Jesus who perfectly lived this way on our behalf and who empowers us to look more and more like this as we place our faith and trust in him. That's biblical faithfulness. That's gospel centrality. Second, I want to show you a sad scene really quick. Seduction by false teachers. Look at the text. Verse four, actually go back up to verse three. He warns Timothy, he says, for the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, they will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. Some translations say an itchy ear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to miss, but as for you. So this is a sad scene that Paul is now warning Timothy about. A time that is coming where people, he says, will multiply for themselves. Teachers, they, their ear will be itching, so they are run the teachers and, and ask the teachers essentially to scratch their ear. And what he's saying is, tell me what I want to hear. And what are they doing in doing that? He says they're turning from the truth. When I was a boy, man, I had this really bad. And uh, sins of the father becomes the sins of the kids. But, man, I would, I would, I was something else. I would go to my mama and ask her for some candy. My thing was gummy bears. She would say no. 
And then I would wait until her and daddy separated. I'd be like, hey, dad, can I, um, can I get some gummy bears? <laughs> I was just working that system until one of them, well, but daddy said, but you heard me say, right? I had that itchy ear. I want those gummy bears or itchy belly, however you look at it, right? Wanted what I wanted. And I was going to find somebody who was going to, who's going to hook me up. And Paul is telling Timothy, he tells the church at Acts the, the same exact thing. In Ephesus, I'm sorry, he says this, I know that after my departure, listen to this, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up even from your own number and they will distort, they will bend, they will twist the truth to lure disciples into following them. And man, my heart is just, my heart is so vexed. And I know your heart is probably vexed too because we live in a day and age where Christians are multiplying for themselves false, for themselves teachers. And they are, are bending and, and looking for someone who will confirm for them what they want to believe about the Bible, even though the Bible clearly says something. And if you're looking for someone to affirm what you believe about a subject in a Bible, you're going to eventually find that. But the problem with what you find is, is that it's not biblically faithful and it's not what the Bible says. And you will be living, living a delusion. There's three uh, types of pseudo faith right now that I think is really impacting the church. And even the one I was thinking about our church, the first is this a false teaching of this consumeristic faith. This faith where people come in to just consume. This hope that I'm just going to go to church to feel good and I'm only going to read the parts of the Bible that affirm me and make me feel good. I don't want to be convicted. Everything is, is about positivity, self-improvement. And it downplays this, the weightier things of the law, as Jesus would say, justice and mercy, sacrifice, humility, accountability. Another is this prosperity gospel faith. And this faith prioritizes financial prosperity by believing that God always rewards faithfulness with, faithfulness with material wealth and success. And the emphasis here is, is not on picking up one's cross and following Jesus out of gratitude for his salvific grace, but it's rather follow Jesus because he can make your dreams come true. And this is antithetical to what we see in the scripture. Jesus says, if you want to follow after me, you pick up your cross and you die to yourself daily. The third is this political faith. Some people have this, this itching ear and they multiply for themselves uh, teachers uh, based upon their own political and ideological beliefs. And they rock holistically with their party of choice without being a prophetic voice in it. And it becomes a, a mixture of, of Jesus and, and their, their politics. There's two examples of this political faith that I think is just ravaging 
the uh, churches in America as Christian nationalism and secular progressivism. Christian nationalism is unhealthy for for many reasons, but it falls to be biblical and gospel-centered because it adds to what the Bible has to say about Christians living out the gospel within a secular society. And some Christians flock to teachers who are Christian nationalists because they have turned this nation into an idol and suddenly God is for America and against every other nation or uh, America must have these Christian uh, laws and we must take the kingdom by force. And the problem with this, which is often this fundamentalist or this extreme fundamentalism is it often neglects the marginalized. It's often very rigid and the Bible never tells Christians to, um, to make their national kingdom, the kingdom of God, by, by forcing it and forcing non-believers to submit to their morality. But the other is progressive uh, sexuality that we see. And both of these are kind of uh, two sides of the same coin. Um, By the extreme right, we see this Christian nationalistic bent often. And then on the extreme left, we see this push of just progressivism where, and we see Christians flocking to it, eating it up wholesale. The Bible tells us that God created two genders, male and female, in his image. The Bible tells us that marriage is between one husband and one wife. This is the way to flourishing. The Bible tells us that the world is broken and imperfect because of sin, Adam and Eve's sin. And as a result of that, all of our sexuality is broken. We all feel uncomfortable to some degree in our bodies. But what progressive uh, sexuality uh, that we see pushes, it says, no, uh, what Christian nationals want to add to the Bible, uh, this progressive movement wants to subtract to the Bible. And they have this very Freudian perspective that says, no, uh, repressing or not giving in fully to your desires is hurting you. What you need to do is, is do you and just give fully in. And if someone loves you, they're going to accept you fully given into it. And then you have Christians who are following the way of this thinking, saying, no, be yourself. And the issue is, is that's not biblically faithful or it's gospel centered. Neither is it gospel centered. The message of the gospel is not be yourself. Go after whatever you desire so that you can be happy. The message of the gospel is self-denial. It's picking up your cross and following Jesus. It's recognizing that all of us have brokenness and desires that we, we want, but the answer to flourishing is not us just giving ourselves over to it. In fact, that's the pathway to addiction and depression. And Christians, I see it, itchy ears, doing hermeneutical gymnastics. I mean, they are like Olympians. And what we're doing is we're ignoring not only the scripture, but we're ignoring uh, good research and, and data. We're ignoring what's happened in Europe and how they're trying to backtrack on stuff. Like we are making a mess of things. This something is not right. 
Oh, it's tight, but it's right. Amen. And so if you're here at Midtown, I'm just saying like, and you are at a church that's going to be biblically faithful by God's grace and gospel-centered. You're at a church that is not going to uh, be determining what we preach by our Amazon or Google reviews. You're at a church that does not care about our seating capacity, but by God's grace, we care about our sending capacity. In his popular book, uh, Dr. Larry Hortado, historian of early Christianity, wrote uh, a book called The Destroyer of the Gods. And he basically looks at this tiny Jewish set of Jesus followers who overcomes this, the paganism of, of Rome. And he mentions five things that, that made this a distinct group in the first three centuries of Christianity. And he says, this is when the church was at its best and was most powerful. And here are the five things. He says, one, that church was multiracial and multiethnic. In other words, they believed that the gospel of Jesus Christ broke down barriers. Two, the church spread across social economic lines. They had a high value of caring for the poor. High value of caring for the poor. Three, it was staunch in its active resistance to emphasize and abortion. It stood up for life. Where in Rome, uh, if you didn't want a kid, you just set it on a, on a trash dump or, or killed it. Christians were saying, we'll take your babies. Fourth, it was resolute in his vision of marriage and sexuality between one man and one woman for life. Fifth, it was nonviolent, both on a personal level and a political level. It's a great book, Destroy of the Gods. Listen, some of y'all are just messed up right now. And all of us should be uh, because this isn't just the talking points of one party. <laughs> right? This, is, this, this goes beyond party, political party lines. Jesus' kingdom is different. It's different. Not only is it different, it's beautiful. Not only is it beautiful, it's better. A church that is biblically faithful is a church that's not going to be allow society to put them in a box, but rather we are looking at the Holy Scriptures and like Jesus, we are pursuing image bearers with compassion, tenderness, thoughtfulness, wise as serpents, gentle as doves, as fellow uh, sinners who have been saved by grace through faith. And we're speaking the truth with grace. And I'll be honest, my, my main concern is not what's happening out there. It's, it's what are we cultivating in here? Paul says in Corinthians, he says, hey, my, our job isn't to judge the world. The world is the world. My job is, to, is to, to judge the church. So what's Paul's antidote? And I got to hurry to a close, as the old preachers used to say. What's Paul's antidote to itchy ears and people who are turning from truth, running to myths, and those myths in light of uh, First and second Timothy is genealogical myths. Uh, some people were claiming that they were uh, saved uh, according to their genealogy. They were trying to trace their genealogy back to Abraham. And Paul is constantly telling Timothy, tell them to cut it out, right? 
Your nationality is not what saves you. It's faith in Jesus. Oh, that's a sermon itself right there. So his his answer to him is this, verse 5. But as for you, exercise self-control in everything. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. And in doing so, you will fulfill your ministry. And that's your pastor's job is to do those as well. So real quick, I'm just going to give you three quick applications. I don't have time to go into them all. But as we look at what it means to be biblically faithful and gospel-centered, my encouragement, my invitation to you is this. One, value the Bible and biblically preaching. Hold on to what has been passed down for the apostles. Regularly sit attentively under your pastor's preaching while reading the Bible yourself and studying the Bible in community as time allows. Two, value the gospel of Jesus. The gospel is not, as it has been said, the ABCs of Christianity. It is the A through Zs. It's not the the diving board. It's the whole swimming pool. You don't move past the gospel. It's like the sun. You don't move past the sun. The sun allows you to see everything else and it brings warmth to everything else. So does the gospel. And three, man, would you pray for your pastors and your teachers? Would you pray that we will faithfully preach the word in season and out of season? Would you pray that we would have self-control? Would you pray that we will endure hardship? Would you pray that we will live as evangelists? Paul opens the section with a solemn warning and he closes with these words. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all those who have loved his appearance. He makes a eschaton sandwich. He starts off at the end of the days, Jesus appearing, and he closes with Jesus appearing. And the key to being biblically faithful and gospel-centered is not getting caught up with the times, but rather is putting our eyes on the time that is to come when Jesus cracks the, the sky. And the one who is called faithful and true in Revelations chapter 19 comes to make all things right and to judge all things. Let's fight the good fight of faith together. Let's vibe to that beat. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit Sojourn Church dot com slash midtown.